The following audio is from Life Centre Church. For more information, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. Now just straight into the passage that today's teaching is based. It's Galatians 5, 16 to 26. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit." Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Well, good morning. Welcome to church. Uh, It's great to have you guys here. Thank you for coming out um, for church this morning, because I know it's a relatively strange, it's been a strange week, it's been a strange time. Um, So I do appreciate you guys coming out. Uh, If you do want to take your masks off while you're seated, you're more than welcome to do that. You don't have to keep your masks on while you're sitting down, Um, but I'll leave that up to you as well. we're going to be uh, speaking for the next, spend the next couple of weeks looking at these verses that Andrew just read out, Galatians 5, verses 16 to 26, where Paul talks a lot about the Holy Spirit, what it means to walk by the Spirit, and how the fruit of the Spirit is produced in us. And the reason why we're doing that is because uh, the, the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, is not just a crucial thing for us to, to have in mind and to, for us to do as Christians, but especially in light of recent events and in the last kind of 12 months or so, I feel like this is actually a really important thing for us to grow in, walking by the Spirit. It can be easy to, to slip into fear and to anxiety. It can be easy to um, be stressed. It can be easy to uh, worry about what the future is going to, going to hold for us. But as Christians, we are called to live differently to that. We are called to live by the Spirit. And if we live by the Spirit, we'll produce the fruit of the Spirit. And we're really, over this next couple of weeks, we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit, uh, but it's crucial that we get the order of that right. We've got to talk about walking by the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, before we can talk about producing the fruit of the Spirit. One of the things that I uh, have become really quite fond of in recent years is growing grass. Um, that might sound, not sound like a very exciting thing for you, but I like growing my grass. And my, If you've been to my house, you will have seen uh, my lush grass. People compliment me. They lie down and say, it's like lying on a mattress. And my heart goes, yes, it is, isn't it? It's so lovely, so green and lush and beautiful. However, if you come to my house right now, you'll get to meet my pet lawn grubs, um, which have made an absolute mess of my grass. So please don't um, judge me for that. Uh, but I just I enjoy growing grass. Now, one of the things about growing grass, and and any plant for that matter, is that I can't actually force the grass to grow myself. 
I can't actually put my hand to growing the grass. I don't have anything to do with actually the growth of the grass itself. I can water it. I can put nutrients into the soil. I can treat it with uh, pesticides to kill the pests. I can core it. I can dethatch it. I can mow it regularly. But I actually have nothing to do with putting my hand to the actual growth of the grass itself. If I want to see the grass grow in my yard, I need to put my hand to other things. And the same thing is true here. We can't just talk about the fruit of the Spirit. Like, it's no use in me saying to you, hey, go out and produce the fruit of the Spirit, because none of us, by our own strength, can actually do that. Sure, we might be able to act in some of these ways. We might be able to act in ways that kind of line up with that list of the fruit of the Spirit, uh, but that won't last. Some of us might look at some of these things and go, oh, you know, that's just like a personality thing. I'm just not really, that's just not my personality. But the fruit of the Spirit is not just a personality list. It's not like a Myers-Briggs test. The fruit of the Spirit is the active, is active grace that grows out of a life that is led by the Holy Spirit. We can't just go ahead and go, I'm going to try my hardest to actually produce the fruit of the Spirit. In fact, Paul's going to warn us in this passage, don't do that. That doesn't actually work. And so over the next, next couple of weeks, this week and next week, we're going to be looking at these things. So today, we're going to be focusing on what it means to walk by the Spirit. Then next week, we're going to be looking at those nine things that Paul talks about of the fruit of the Spirit. So what does Paul have in mind when he says to walk by the Spirit? The first thing that we come across is that it's a command. He says, but I say, walk by the Spirit. It's a command that we must obey. It's a pretty direct command, isn't it? There's not really any wriggle room to get out of this one. He says here uh, in verse 16, walk by the Spirit. Then in verse 18, be led by the Spirit. If you go down to verse 25, he speaks of living by the Spirit and keeping step with the Spirit. It's a very, very spiritual verse in a section of teaching. In fact, um, John Stott says this whole section, this whole passage is full of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is mentioned seven times by name in these 11 verses. So what does it all mean? What does it mean? What does Paul have in mind to walk by and, led by and be led by and live by and keep in step with the Spirit? There was a time in my life where I probably would have thought that walking by the Spirit didn't mean walking at all. I kind of imagine it, you know, in those old Warner Brothers cartoons when there's like a, an apple pie sitting on the shelf and like you can see the smell wafting through the open window. And then Sylvester the cat, he's, he, he just starts floating and starts drifting in, in the direction of the smell, where the smell is coming from. That's kind of what we sometimes have in mind when we think of walking by the Spirit, like it's this really ethereal, uh, spiritual, mythical, mystical kind of practice. But actually, it's something far more practical than that. As practical as walking. Walking by, being led by, living by, and keeping in step with the Spirit, they all essentially are meaning the same thing, and they come together to give us the impression of someone who very much has their feet on the ground and are living their life with direct and dynamic purpose given to them from God above. Walking by, spirit, walking by the Spirit isn't like an ethereal kind of mystical, you become a bit of a hoodoo guru. It's a really practical thing. These Galatians, of course, had received the Holy Spirit when they first heard Paul preach the gospel to them. 
The Holy Spirit had opened their eyes and their hearts to the truth and the beauty of God's word, of, of, of Jesus Christ. The, the Holy Spirit was the beginning of their faith. And Paul is saying, keep walking with the Holy Spirit. Keep in step with the Holy Spirit. It's a command to go where the Spirit is going. It's a command to listen to his voice. It's a command to discern his will. And it's a command to follow his guidance. This means, to obey this means, letting God permeate every single thought, every single word, every single action of our entire lives. It's always been God's intention that he would be the center point of our lives and that we would, we would orbit around him. He says this all the way back in Deuteronomy 6. Moses says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. In other words, God should be at the center. All our hearts mean right at the center of who we are, our very self, our being, our identity. Love God there. Whether all our soul is our bodies, ourselves, our, our minds, our thoughts, everything, our actions. Love the, love the Lord your God with that. Love the Lord your God with all your might means everything that is at our disposal, everything that we've got in our hands, everything that we've got in our life. Love the Lord your God with that. God should be at the center of our lives and our lives should be permeated by his wonderful fragrance. How do we do that? How do we actually put God central in our lives? Well, firstly, we've got to get into God's word. If you want God to be at the center of your life, you cannot do that without having God's word as the unmovable bedrock in your life. We shouldn't be trying to squeeze God's word into our schedule or timing God's word into our schedule, hoping that we'll find some time for it. Instead, uh, that should be the first thing that gets scheduled into our days and everything else, including sleeping and eating and watching TV and movies and all that kind of stuff, should be scheduled in behind that. That might mean you have to go to bed earlier. It might mean you eat at a different time. It might mean that you, go to, that you don't watch as much TV or whatever it is. And that's a really good thing. There is just no substitute for quality time in God's Word. Books are really great. Podcasts are really great. But those things should play second fiddle to our time in God's Word. We should be spending the bulk of our time of that kind of stuff in God's Word. I say this all the time, I'm going to say it again, and I really hope that I get to keep saying this for the rest of my life. There is no substitute for time in God's Word. The second thing we can be doing is just simply by praying. Praying as we wake up in the morning, praying as we go to bed at night, praying before our feet hit the floor. God, how would you have me live my life today? How would you have me talk to my spouse today? How would you have me greet my kid this morning? God, how would you have me uh, handle myself in this conversation as I go to work today? God, how would you have me treat my roommates today? God, when I, when I, when I do this today, how, how are you going to guide me? Lord, I, I, I want to be used by you. I want you to guide me. I want you to show me how I should be living my life, praying all the time. How do you want me to drive today? Lord, as I, as I approach the front of the checkout, how can I just treat this person with dignity and show them love and care? As I run per past this person on the, 
on the footpath? How can I love this? How can I? And that's what it means to have God at the center. Everything that we're doing, every thought, every action is permeated by him that we're considering. How would God have us do this in this moment? When we have a spare moment, be in prayer. I've been reading Nehemiah this past week, and there's this really wonderful little verse that I just read past, and I, I almost missed it. In Nehemiah chapter 2, Nehemiah, they're in exile in Babylon. He's the cupbearer for King Artaxerxes, and God has burdened Nehemiah to go back to Jerusalem and to rebuild the walls. And Nehemiah is burdened by this. He's thinking, how, how am I going to get King Artaxerxes to go back and, and, and allow me to do this? And Artaxerxes sees the burden on Nehemiah's sad face. And in verse 4 it says, Then the king said to me, What are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king. And then he goes on and asks the king for his request. But just that one little line, So I prayed to the God of heaven, and then I asked the king. Just a fantastic thing there. About how do I actually, in, in this moment, he's, pre, he's presented with this opportunity to actually go to the king and ask the king for a, a huge favor, a huge blessing to, go, to leave and go and build Jerusalem again, build the walls of Jerusalem again. He quickly prays to God. Walking by the Spirit, being led by the Spirit, living by the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit means that you're living in such a way that God is central to absolutely everything that you do. Everything in your life orbits around him and permeates every fiber of every thought and every word and every action. I don't know how more comprehensively I can put it. If there's another word that I could use to describe comprehensively the, the, the theme of everything goes towards God, then, then yes, I would use that. Maybe I can get Joel to help me out. He's an English teacher. He can, give me a, he can open up his mind, of his, the source of his mind to help me out. Everything, everything permeated by who God is. That's, what, that's the first thing that Paul has in mind when he says to walk by the Spirit. But that's not all. There's a command, but then there's also straight away a promise. He says in verse 16, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. In other words, if you do this, you're going to experience victory in the battle as you battle against the desires of the flesh. Now, what are those desires of the flesh? What is he talking about there? Sometimes we can misunderstand them to be uh, just sexual sins or maybe just uh, our physical selves over and above our spiritual nature. But actually what Paul has in mind here is far more encompassing than that. The flesh that Paul uses, sorry, the term that Paul uses here for the flesh, it refers to our fallen condition. He's talking about our sinful hearts, that part of ourselves that part of ourselves that which we just don't want Jesus to be Lord in. It's the part of us that is convinced that we should be at the center of the universe and everything else and everyone else should orbit around us. My flesh is constantly saying to me, Jimmy, put yourself first. And my flesh is flabbergasted that everybody else around me hasn't got with the program yet. Like, Jimmy, you should be the center of the universe. This is what life is all about. Everybody else should be, should be concerned about you. I was driving just down the road the other day on Calandra Road on my way, I think it was last Sunday, on my way back home from church, driving past Woolies on my left, and it was bumper-to-bumper -bumper traffic. It was slow-moving. The, the lights ahead meant that it was a long line of traffic. And there was people turning right uh, across us, across our lane of traffic, into Woolies. 
And the guy in front of me, just for no reason at all, just decided to drive forward and stop in the middle of the intersection and stop everybody from turning into Woolies. Uh, just for whatever reason, was just like, yeah, no, nah, I need to get ahead here. I'm not, if I can't move, nobody else can move. That's what it kind of felt like. And I looked at him and I was like, man, that is such a self-centered, selfish thing to do. I, I couldn't believe it. But then I also couldn't believe that about five minutes later, I was also at the center of the universe again myself, and I was up the back of somebody saying, get out of my way, don't you know how important I am? Like we, our, our, our flesh pulls us back towards the center of the universe going, you should be the central point here. You, everybody else should be wondering about you. When we gratify the desires of the flesh, when we give in way to that desire to be number one in our lives, we stop thinking about others. And the only thought that we can process is, yeah, but what about me? Why can't everybody else in the world around me think about me right now? Why can't they understand how it is from my point of view? And Paul tells us, if you walk by the Spirit, you won't gratify those desires. You'll cut them off. Those desires will rise. They'll want to be fulfilled. But walking by the Spirit cuts that appetite down to its stump. Now, this would have been really relevant to the Galatian church who first read Paul's words. After all, they, when they, when they first, before they believed in Jesus, they were steeped in pagan idolatry, the kind where they would have participated in some very immoral behavior by Christ's standards. And even though they were steeped in this licentious pagan idolatry, Jesus Christ still saved them. It was Jesus alone who saved them. Not one of them could claim that he or she was saved because they were a particularly fine specimen. Not one of them could claim that they were saved because they had great potential. Not one of them could say that they were saved, that they earned their salvation, that they didn't need to add anything to Jesus, sorry, that they, um, they, they didn't need to add anything to Jesus, and nothing needed to be done on their part to keep their salvation. It was all done and dusted by the completed work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And, and this is true for every single Christian. We are unable to save ourselves. We have no hope of lifting ourselves out of the pit, out of the miry clay. But Christ has regarded our helpless estate and he has shed his own blood for our souls. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. The reason, and the reason why Jesus freed these Galatians from their sin, Paul says, was for freedom. It was for freedom that they were set free, he says. They had once been in spiritual slavery to false gods. And after believing in Jesus, they were now free in Christ. They were once enslaved to sin. They were ruled by it, but now they are ruled by sin no longer. They don't have to gratify the desires of their old self anymore, of the flesh. They don't have to keep doing what their old self keeps telling them to do. Friends, there may be a recurring sin in your life, and you might have battled that sin for a very long time, and you are tired, and you are weary, and you are discouraged, and you feel defeated. 
And there are a number of ways, a number of helps that can assist us in dealing with the presence of such sin like this in our lives. But if we're not walking by the Spirit, we'll keep losing the battle. To walk by the Spirit is to place God at the center of our lives, which means that you and I are out. We're no longer the center of the universe anymore. We're no longer our own Lord and our own Savior. God is there now. And the longer that you walk by the Spirit, the bigger that God gets and becomes in your life. Now, this is not an easy battle. Paul knows this. He's no dummy. He's not promising overnight victory. This is why he says in verse 17, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Paul is talking about the ongoing duel that is taking place inside of us. There is the flesh, the old self, which, which once had rule, it was once ruled, it once had power. It was at the center of, the uni- of our universe. Uh, it was a thing that guided every decision. And then there is also the Holy Spirit. And our flesh doesn't really like the Holy Spirit now. Because our flesh used to be in charge, and now God is in charge. And so a conflict ensues. And we find this inner conflict raging in our lives. The Holy Spirit pointing us towards Christ and the old self pulling us back to, towards, back to doing the things that we don't want to do. Now, some people say there's no such thing as that inner conflict. Once you're a Christian, you're, you're free in Christ, you've won the victory, you're all good. This verse obliterates that thinking. The old self, though it is no longer in charge, it's still there. And it's still doing everything in its power to keep us from following Jesus. It's still doing everything in its power to keep us from following God, from doing the things that we want to do. That flesh is strong. But we must trust God's word that the spirit is stronger. The battle is not going to end in a stalemate. The Holy Spirit is the victor. Overcoming the flesh is not about willpower. Nor is it even about battling with the Spirit's help. The Spirit wins the battle and we simply march under his banner. What does this look like practically? It means that when temptation comes, when the desires of the flesh rise up, we walk by the Spirit by saying, that actually isn't who I am anymore. Sure, I used to be like that, but that's not me anymore. I'm now a child of God. My sin has, has been already defeated by Jesus Christ on the cross. Sin, I don't have to do what you say anymore. You're not in charge anymore. You're not the one who's ruling. You're not the one who is actually in charge anymore. I don't have to listen to my sinful flesh anymore. The Holy Spirit is in charge. Jesus is Lord, not me. Sin comes to us and, and promises us everything, but we know that sin actually only ends up robbing us of everything. And that actually we have everything we need in Jesus Christ. Now Paul goes on in verse 18, not just to say that we have liberty from our old self, our flesh, but by the Spirit we also have liberty from the law. He says, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, this is particularly pertinent for the Galatian church. The reason why Paul was writing this letter is because word had traveled to him that some people had entered the church and that they were bringing in a new teaching that actually, faith in Jesus Christ, it's not enough. 
If you really want to be one of God's people, you also need to observe the law, particularly as it pertained to circumcision. They were leading these Christians to add their works to the gospel in order to be saved. This, according to Paul, was not only a distortion of the gospel, but actually it was no gospel at all. Because it shifts the focus off what Christ has done for us and onto what we can do for Christ. And that is adding conditions to the gospel message. And you can't add something to the gospel without also subtracting Jesus from it. If you add anything to the gospel to say, are Jesus and this to be saved? If you add this and this, whatever you add, you subtract Jesus from the gospel. And that, says Paul, is no gospel at all. There's no good news there. By having to obey the law, the focus is no longer on what Christ has done for them, but on what they can do for Christ, which puts them back into the center of the universe again, which means they're back in slavery again. This is why Paul says early in the letter a couple of times, I can't believe you're going back there again. I can't believe you're going back to slavery again. Paul knows that whether you're living according to the flesh or whether you're living according to the law, both of those things invariably place us back in the center of the universe, which, put, which means that both of those things ends up with us in slavery. If you and I believe that we are saved by being the best version of ourselves that we can be, then our best will never be good enough. Our best will have to exceed even, even that of the Pharisees, Jesus says, and we just can't do that. Obeying the law is slavery. Obeying the flesh is slavery. And only in Jesus is there freedom. Whether you've been a rule breaker or a rule keeper and lived according to the law, the gospel is good news for you because it actually doesn't matter how we have lived. Jesus loves us and offers us offers us his righteousness is a free gift of grace to us so that his life could be credited to us, his righteousness could be credited to us. You might have made an absolute train wreck of your life. You might have burned every bridge and ruined every relationship and squandered every opportunity and yet Jesus stands there holding out salvation to you and I saying, come and trust in me. You can have my life as your track record. Or you might be coming from the other end of the spectrum. You might have actually done really well with your life. You might have fantastic relationships. You haven't burned bridges, you've built bridges. You've made the most of every opportunity and that's your righteousness. That's what you trust in. When you think about how, when you, when you start to feel discouraged, you look at all the things that you have done to make yourself righteous before God and you go, oh, at least I'm a good person. If that's you, Jesus holds out salvation to you as a free gift and says, come and trust in me, and I will give you my righteousness. I will give you my track record. That's the second thing that Paul has in mind when he talks about walking by the Spirit. It's not that we're ruled by the flesh, and it's not that we're ruled by the law. It's actually now that we're ruled by Christ. The third and final thing that we're going to talk about, and this is my shortest point, is that uh, the thing that Paul has in mind when he talks about walking by the Spirit is the community that we step into as we walk by the Spirit. And we're going to be picking this up in much more detail next week. But actually what Paul has in mind for this Galatian church is that they love one another. And I'm looking forward to preaching on this next week because so much of what he says here in this section is framed by the command to love one another. 
But there was some false teaching coming into this church. And with that false teaching comes its ugly cousin, dissension, rivalries. People were becoming conceited and they were looking down on each other. He says this from verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. When we walk according to the Spirit, we walk in humility. There's just no other way to do it. You, you can't be, we can't walk by the Spirit and still be proud. Because when we become a Christian, part of that is repentance, which is another way of saying, I got it all very wrong. And I need to utterly, totally change the way that I've been living. No, nobody, nobody becomes a Christian and goes, yeah, I'm just going to add Jesus to my life. Like I've lived a pretty good life and Jesus seems to make everything, takes, takes everything from about like 90% to 100%. That's not, that's not repentance. Repentance is, I've ruined my life by either trusting my good works or by all my bad works. I've made a mess of my life and I need Jesus to actually give me his righteousness. When someone becomes a Christian, it's like what they're doing is they're opening up their medicine cabinet for the whole world to see. Like, I don't know about you, but we don't keep our medicine cabinet just inside the front door open so that when visitors come, they can see the very worst of our lives. Because that's what medicine cabinets generally hold, right? Like, you can look in someone's medicine cabinet and you can see their history. All the, you can find out all the worst stuff about that person. We keep our medicine cabinet inside our pantry, which is like in the Holy of Holies. You know, that's like, there's no other way to get in there. Only those from the tribe of Smith Cottrell can get in there. Like, there's things in there that I don't want people necessarily to see. So you might look at it and be like, knit cream? What? They have knits? Gross. I hugged them today. Ugh. Man, what's this? Combantrin? That, doesn't that get rid of worms? Gross. Tinea cream? What's that about? Yikes. Ugh. Diazepam? Isn't he a pastor? Like, the, like we, we, people look inside our medicine, like that, we kind of, we hide our medicine cabinets away because we don't want people to see that we have tinea or whatever it is. And when you become a Christian, when you walk by the Spirit, what you're doing is you're opening up the medicine cabinet and saying, yeah, I don't have it all together. I've made an absolute mess of my life. I, I never had it all together. I, I've, not, I've ruined my life. You're admitting that you're weak and you're rather hopeless without the hope of Jesus Christ. Here's the thing, nobody looks good standing next to the cross. Nobody is taking selfies next to the cross of Jesus Christ. Nobody looks wonderful next to the cross of Jesus Christ. Which means we can't walk by the Spirit and then also look down on someone in conceit, as Paul says, because you know just how much of a mess you are. And you also can't walk by the Spirit and look over at a brother and sister in Christ and say, wow, I envy them, because you know that they're just as much of a mess as you are without Jesus. Paul's saying, hey, if you live by the Spirit, if we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with Him. Let's understand the reality of our own lives and the reality of those, those around us, that we are nothing without Christ. And yet, because we have Christ, we have everything, and that is really good news. That's why I love Sundays. That's why I'm so grateful that we were still able to meet today. Because I get to worship with a whole bunch of sinners. And as I'm playing, and as Bronte was playing, I got to hear a whole lot of sinners sing. And I did not think when you guys were coming in that you guys were a bunch of righteous people by your own works. I know you're just as messed up as I am. 
And that feeds my faith. I need to be with the body of Christ on a regular basis to hear a bunch of other sinners say, yes, we're trusting in Jesus as well for our righteousness. That's why we come to church. That's why we sing together. That's why we do that stuff. To edify and encourage one another. To say, yeah, I haven't made a, I've, I've made a mess of my life. You've made a mess of my life. Let's be brothers and sisters in Christ and let's sing to our Lord and Savior. That's what church is all about. This is where we're going to end it. In John 16, Jesus tells his disciples that it's a really good thing that he leaves them because when he does, he's going to send them the Spirit. And when the Spirit comes, he's going to convict them. He's going to guide them into all the truth. Now listen to what Jesus says in verse 14 and 15 about the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Jesus says this about the Holy Spirit. He says, He, that's the Holy Spirit, will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So we've got the Trinity going on here, right? This is Jesus talking about the fact that what God the Father has done, he's given all things to him, and then the Holy Spirit, when Jesus goes up into heaven, the Holy Spirit is going to come along, and he is going to declare that everything that is Jesus is actually for us. To live by and walk by and be led by and to keep in step with the Holy Spirit is to listen to the Holy Spirit as he takes what is Jesus's and declares it to us. Listen to the Holy Spirit who comes along and he points us towards Jesus. It reminds us regularly that everything that is, now, that is true of Jesus is actually now true of us. And that is wonderful good news, right? Like, maybe you were singing those song, songs before, you were thinking to yourself, yeah, I don't know if I can actually sing these songs with confidence because I think I've stuffed up this week. I think I've really ruined, made a mess of my life this week. If you're in Christ then what is true of Jesus is true of you and I. Which means if you're in Christ, then you are righteous before God. His righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus Christ, is credited to you. It is yours. And to walk by the Spirit is to listen to God as he seeks and is eager to and wants to tell you that every second of every day of our entire lives. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Life Centre Church, located on the Sunshine Coast. We exist to make, mature and multiply disciples and communities that depend upon, declare and display the gospel of Jesus Christ in all of life. If you would like more information about us, please visit lifecentrechurch.com.au. We provide our podcasts free of charge. Please feel free to download the content and share it with others but please do not edit or alter the content in any way without the written permission from the leadership of LCC.